In 30 years, I'll make sure there's no more fossil fuels. In 30 years, I want to be a mentor to those who have been in my shoes. In 30 years, I'll have bought my family their dream houses for helping me when I was young. In 30 years, how will California's public charter school movement evolve? And as we look back over the last 30 years, what have charter public schools accomplished? Hello everyone, I'm Anna Tentakoulis, host of the Charter Nation podcast, and you're listening to another special episode marking the 30th anniversary of charter public schools in California. The state's first charter public school law was adopted in 1992. Today, there are about 1,300 charter public schools in the state, serving nearly 700,000 students. Later in this episode, you'll hear key takeaways from this year's Portrait of the Movement Report, the annual study produced by the California Charter Schools Association. This year, the study provides a current picture of the charter school educational landscape and how charters are continuing to reimagine education. You'll also meet Stephanie Orozco, another charter school alumna in our series called The Faces of Charter School Success. But now we bring you a special Changemakers interview featuring Jed Wallace, the longest serving president and CEO of the California Charter Schools Association. Jed was instrumental in building the charter school movement in California. He's now a national charter school consultant, as well as the creator of Charter Folk, a website about the people and issues at the heart of the charter school movement nationwide. CCSA's current leader, Mirna Castrojon, sat down with Jed to talk about the importance of building on the advocacy power of charter schools in California. Jed, so great to see you. Thank you. Thank you for joining me on Changemakers. Terrific to be with you, Mirna. Looking back uh, at the 30-year trajectory, when you see um, the, the the story, and you're a playwright. I've always loved that about you. You see the world from a writerly stance. Um, I imagine, Jed, that you're thinking about the charter school movement in our 30 years, right, as we're in Act 3. You know, it, Act 3 is when all the really important stuff and the pivots and the learnings and the ahas and the, and the secret twists happen. What happens in Act 4? Well, I think it's a, a, a great question. I love the frame. Uh, yes, I do have my MFA in playwriting. And, you know, I think that charter schools are really going into a, a seminal moment. Uh, it is, you know, a, a moment of great challenge for us. And, you know, I think it's a combination of needing to look to the future uh, and with new hope and new ambition and, and bringing those new models that you're talking about while understanding still, you know, what got us started in the first place. So what I think the next chapter is for charter schools is, yes, we keep growing, but we begin to make more assertively that broader case that we're not growing charter schools for the sake of charter schools. We're growing charter schools because we see charter schools as a unique way to be able to push the whole system to purge itself of inequities that makes public education not do its fundamental thing, make opportunity more broadly available to all in our country. When you look at the growth of charters in California, looking at that long view, that trajectory of where we've been in the past decade and what is happening right now and these pandemic dis disruptions, if you will, what are you seeing? What, what observations and lessons do you draw from these patterns? Well, I certainly had a chance to visit a lot of states immediately after leaving CCSA. If the pandemic hadn't hit, I would have made it to 30. Um, and I certainly was able to recognize a lot of patterns. 
And it's also helped me really understand the California experience at new levels as well. And I would just come back to, and I'll acknowledge, I am something of an outlier here. I do what everybody tells us not to do. But I start with the problems that we have within our traditional public school system. If it weren't for those problems, charter schools would have no reason to exist. And when we look specifically at California, I think we see that the sobering state of our public education system uh, means that we need even more charter schools and even more charter school growth and even more charter school constructive pressure on the system than we've ever had before. We have 27,000 kids leaving LA Unified. We've got all these stories across the state of the need for something more, while at the same time, charter schools have been put into this box, right, where school districts now have this way to like stop charter schools from growing using the same NIMBY impulses that have resulted in our, in our state fundamentally not having enough housing. And we know in the end who suffers the most. We know it's going to be the most vulnerable kids who will suffer from our lack of great new education being built in California. When I think about like the last 10 years and how our own awareness and understanding has has really deepened and grown, especially as we see uh, communities of color really rising up uh, and asking for something different. And they're not ideologically married to a particular operational model or even governance. Their argument, the core of their claim is that systems have betrayed their trust and their uh, ability to thrive and reneged on the promise of education as a gateway to opportunity. Um, California, of course, uh, as you well noted, is is in a, in a really pivotal moment, right? Like we're either going to rebuild back the broken or come back to the bad normal or really take a different uh, tack and build back better. So what, what does the charter movement, in your opinion, do now to build our advocacy strength and not just protect the movement, um, but reimagine it? One of the things I think is so interesting across the country is that in a variety of places now, red states and blue states, whether it comes from threat or what a perception of opportunity, we're seeing charter school communities come together and support their state associations at whole new levels. I've taken it as my number one personal goal, right? 25 by 25 by 25, 25 states. By 2025, generating $25 per student in membership dues. And uh, if we do that, we release um, over the course of a decade, more, you know, hundreds of millions. You could even get to a billion dollars in extra um, resources to support charter school advocacy. So I believe that in California, especially now that counties have become even more important, right, we're likely to see some local membership organizations not competing with, really, but adding to the power of, you know, the state association and, and, and really being able to concentrate our efforts so that when these very high stakes appeals come to the county levels, as they inevitably will due to this change in law, we will have a collective force much stronger then than we've been able to have so far. I've always loved your focus, Jed, your absolute doggedness on focusing on a North Star. Just pick one, right? Um, and, and just go relentlessly at it. Um, and I think, uh, I think we're in that moment now, right? There's so much, uh, uh, so much disruption right now, and, and everybody is tired. When I talk to charter leaders, charter teachers across yeah. the state, yeah. I mean, the, the exhaustion is real. 
Um, and yet uh, we have children to continue to feed and educate. And we have to somehow continue to hold each other close in community and uh, and hold each other dear in community because the um, the exhaustion and the and the mental pressures on all educators are absolutely uh, relentless. So let's wrap this with what advice would you give to an exhausted charter leader uh, or teacher in this moment, just as we are hitting the 30-year milestone for, for charters in California? Well, I think that you point to exactly um, the crux of the issue, as you always do, right? Which is, um, and it's, it's why I made Charter Folk, right? The charter school movement's greatest asset is our people, right? Um, and so... We need to bring ourselves closer together to remem- remember again that sense of community that got us going in the first place. We need to celebrate ourselves more. We're under so much attack, right? And so, you know, that's a big thing that Charter, charter Focus is, it is my service project. I'm not taking any funding for it, no pay for it or anything, right? But we're going to try to put something together that that allows us to celebrate again the heart of our stinking movement. You know, people like Myrna Castrojon, you, I mean, my gosh, I'll run through anything for you, Myrna, right? And I will run through anything for so many people that I've had a chance to meet in California. All those 750 school visits I did during my decade there. And now the scores of people I'm meeting nationwide. And if we can draw that group together into a greater sense of community, right? then I think we will uh, muster the additional, you know, fortitude we need to push on and do what the next chapter of the chartering experiment requires. Jed Wallace, thank you so much for joining me. It's been such a pleasure hearing your thoughts on these critical issues in this critical moment. And as always, bringing us back to the very core basics. Jed is the former president and CEO of CCSA. He is now a national charter school consultant and writer at Charter Folk. I'm Mirna Castrejon, President and CEO of the California Charter Schools Association, and you've been listening to Changemakers on the Charter Nation podcast. This is the Charter Nation podcast, and you're listening to a special episode marking the 30th anniversary of Charter Public Schools in California. I'm your host, Anna Tentakoulis. 30 years into the movement, the California Charter Schools Association wanted to explore how charter public schools are reimagining public education in the Golden State. So this year, our annual Portrait of the Movement report offers a breakdown on all the unique programs and school models charters currently offer students, how they're redefining college and career readiness, as well as how they're closing achievement gaps. Jenny Kress authored the study. She's the Managing Director of School Performance, Accountability, and Research at CCSA. Jenny says the autonomy and flexibility of charter public schools are key to their success. So we know from our research this year that at 30 years, charter schools are majority low income, they're majority Latino, and independently run charter schools especially closely mirror the student populations seen at traditional public schools. And so Schools with that sort of autonomy and flexibility are allowed to innovate and be creative and find new models that really meet the needs of their individual students. In the report, charter schools that have gained academic ground while also serving the most vulnerable students are called rising star schools. 
Jenny also found that charters are reimagining college and career readiness by looking beyond test scores and considering other important factors. Two interviews really stood out. We spoke with Da Vinci Science, which is over in Hawthorne, and then Samueli Academy in Santa Ana. And we talked to them a lot about how they're redefining college and career readiness by sort of broadening what it means to be ready. So it doesn't just mean you know the standards, you have the test-taking skills. It means are you financially prepared to plan for college? Do you understand what it's going to be like to live in a dorm with mm -hmm. kids from across the country? Do you, are you prepared to think about your career and match it to the major that you want and pick the classes that will really help you thrive in college, career, and life? And so those schools were really, really fascinating. They also are actually talking to alumni constantly and hearing from them, what could we have done better to prepare you to succeed in college and then improving their programs based on that. So just those really specific examples were really interesting and really inspiring for me. Another inspiring charter school profiled in CCSA's annual Portrait of the Movement report is Bridges Preparatory Academy, a new charter school in Compton, a city with high rates of poverty and crime, putting young people more at risk of developing what's called complex childhood trauma. Alejandro Gomez, the founder and executive director of Bridges, says that's why his middle school offers students a trauma-sensitive education. We have a school-wide emotional support system. What does that mean? We have full-time counselors on site that service our kids every single day. They drop everything that they have to do just to make sure that our kids are okay. At the beginning of the school day, we start with an SEO class for 30 minutes, and we also do restorative circles, which has helped the child just come out of their eggshell. Another thing that we actually do at Bridges Preparatory Academy is we hold every child accountable, but at the same time, we reassure them that we're going to be there with them at every step of the way that they have. So for us, it's very important that they understand that we care about them, that we are there for them, and that we support them. It's, uh, my office is always an open-door policy where they know they can come and talk to the principal. They know that they can always go talk to a counselor. They also have an advisory teacher that they know that they can also reach to. I was fortunate enough to come from a big family of eight, but sometimes there's actually children that don't have that one person, that one adult that they can actually go home to and talk to. So we try to be that one person. As Alejandro mentioned, each grade at Bridges is assigned a full-time counselor who stays with a cohort of students during their time at the school. A school psychologist works hand-in-hand -hand with teachers, and staff conducts home visits. Alejandro says Bridges Prep uses its autonomy and flexibility provided by the state to address the unique needs of students in Compton. What makes a difference at Bridges is showing the kids that we care. Right now, we just came back from a pandemic. This whole COVID has really hindered the education, the learning loss. Mm -hmm. They know that even though we expect a lot from them, they know we're there for support. For example, what makes us unique, we have a 90 minute every day that we focus with our kids. So I want the policymakers to know that it makes a difference when they know that they're being supported by the state. That was Alejandro Gomez, founder and executive director of Bridges Preparatory Academy, a new charter public school in Compton offering a trauma-sensitive education. You can read more about Bridges and learn about other charter schools and statewide data on charters by downloading CCSA's Portrait of the Movement report. It's called Charters at 30, 
Reimagining Public Education, and you can download it by going to ccsa.org. Thanks for listening to this 30th anniversary special episode of the Charter Nation podcast. I'm your host, Anna Tentakoulos. And now for our Charter School alumni series called Faces of Charter School Success. Math and Science College Preparatory near downtown Los Angeles offers high-quality STEM pathways for women and students of color. Its mission and vision is to grow a pipeline of scholars who will transform their communities by closing income, ethnic, and gender gaps in STEM fields. Stephanie Orozco is one of those scholars. She's part of the first graduating class at Math and Science College Prep, earning her high school diploma in 2017. She received a full-ride scholarship to UC Merced, where she earned her degree in environmental engineering just a few years ago. Stephanie is the first in her family to graduate both high school and college, and she's one of our faces of charter school success. Stephanie begins by remembering what it was like to be part of that first group of freshmen at Math and Science Prep College. In my opinion, we were a really good group of kids who went in and were willing to try things and were willing to learn things and we were very open and honest and we could have conversations with these professionals even though they were probably on a whole different education level than we were where we were coming from but they still were able to talk to us and communicate with us in a way that didn't make us uncomfortable and didn't make us feel like they're trying to make us feel less than or that they're like saving us from the community we come from type of thing. So we actually had a uh, different pathways you could follow in the school, like engineering or biomedical. And I followed the engineering pathway, which had classes that were supplied to you by Project Lead the Way. And you would actually end up graduating with like a certification from Project Lead the Way. And I think that really helped me and opened me to these other possible careers that I had no idea existed prior to actually going to Math and Science College Prep. I kind of just always assumed it was the be a doctor, be a lawyer, study psychology type of situation in college. But because of these engineering classes, I got to learn what is uh, mechanical engineering, what is environmental engineering, what is even chemical engineering and marine biology, what it means to be a scientist, what it means to study math. It was what led me to be what I ended up studying. Through math and science, I got a great internship with LA Sanitation, planning um, street cleanings that they do in LA. I also helped plan uh, trash pickups that they do. And then that was like the first half of the internship. And then in the second half of the internship, I ended up shadowing an environmental engineer for LA Sanitation. So he took me to on-site locations like landfill management, um, environmental plans that they put into the cities, like a flower bed that would intake water. And as it goes through the flower bed, it was actually fil filtering the water and would send it back into the LA River. So I got to know about fluid mechanics, uh, materials, but then I also got to learn chemistry and a little bit of biology. And then a little bit of math goes into it. So it takes into account all these different um, areas of study and puts all, all into one where you're a person who has a background in environmental issues, but also has the engineering capabilities to create a solution for those environmental problems. 
the climate is changing and it's not just because it's deciding to change it's changing because a lot of of a lot of human action and a lot of the plastics that we're throwing away don't just decompose whereas a lot of like natural byproducts do plastic doesn't it takes hundreds of years even trillions of years to decompose there's even a, a, a island of plastic out in the ocean and that's definitely shouldn't be there because it's hurting the ecosystems and as humans we've destroyed a lot of ecosystems and we should understand that there we're here because the earth allows us to be here and we shouldn't be hurting it we should be helping it charter schools provide a small enough environment for students who get lost in public schools to get the attention they need because i definitely was on the road to get to getting lost being in the charter school system itself is kind of would really help me find focus stay on track when my mind will go elsewhere <laughs> and that's definitely the sort of support system a lot of students need you know not all students could just be in this big crowd of 500 students and find their way by themselves you know some some people need extra support and I, that's totally fine I'd like to thank Stephanie Orozco for taking the time to speak with me for our Faces of Charter School Success alumni series. And that's it for this special episode of the Charter Nation podcast. Check back next month for the final 30th anniversary episode when we hear from Nina Reese, the president and CEO of the National Alliance for Public Charter Schools. I just really, I'm in this because I believe in giving every family the option to enroll their kid in a school that fits their needs. And I think charter schools are really the only and best way to do that in a public setting. That's next time. I'm Anna Tintakoulis, host of the Charter Nation podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.